Welcome once again, podcast listeners. It is the first podcast of 2011. That is, it's January 5th, 2011, and this is the business of tech. My name is Kyle Wegner, and I am joined this week, this year, and every year by Jarrell Ganey. Happy New Year, Jarrell. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, man. How was your How was your holiday season? It was cool. I can't complain at all. Spent time with family, uh, friends, had a, you know, relaxing for the most part. Yeah, you went to Miami, right? Say what? You went to Miami, right? Uh, I checked Miami out. I, uh, you know, we had a little Xbox here, uh, Xbox party here over um, over New Year's. How was that? Uh, it was cool, man. I think we talked about this um, last week. The fact that I, that I didn't have a, an Xbox or any kind of video console, hadn't had one in, in a whole lot of years. Right. So I finally um, broke down and bought one for myself for uh, for Christmas. And um, what do you think? Really cool. Yeah. So so let let uh, tell me about your Connect experience because you got one of those, right? Yep. Yeah, I got a Connect. All right. So let's hear it. I think it's um I think it's I think it's a fun gadget. Um, you know, I think if, you know, someone were to buy the Kinect expecting for it to, uh, to change the world, then they might just be on to something because it does, in fact, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's not going to change the world, but it's, it's, it's a cool, you know, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool way of, of interacting with your games. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go as, you know, I'm not going to go into the, uh, you know, how, how responsive it is. Right. I think it's responsive enough, you know, to, to, to kind of, to kind of quote, um, Barack. During the uh, their primaries, you know, do you recall when he was like uh, Hillary Clinton is um, she's funny enough? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so um, I, I think is I think it's responsive enough. Um, okay. it's, it's responsive enough that you you know that you you get enjoyment out of the games, and I think that was the goal. Um, you know, if if you expect for it to mimic your moves to perfection, you know, you're you're probably going to be slightly disappointed. Right. But, you know, it's a, it's a cool little tool. Awesome. So. Uh, have, what games have you tried out? What and what is your favorite? Um, I got uh, I got Dance Central. I got um, Connect Sports. I got uh, whatever that game was that came with it. Uh, Connect Adventures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've probably played um, Dance Central the most. Um, honestly, I had not played it since uh, since, since New Year's. <laughs> it's just been sitting there gathering dust already, huh? <laughs> but I knew I wouldn't. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you buy. As far as those games for me, anyway, it, you know, I bought them because you know I bought them for uh, for group events. Right. You know, right. I'm, I'm never gonna be sitting sitting here at home, and I'm like, you know, I'm uh, I'm bored. I think I'll go dance in front of the TV. That's what you have to say publicly, anyway. <laughs> Who knows what's gonna happen behind closed doors? <laughs> Trust me, I, I'll never get to the moment that I'm bored <laughs> and I'm gonna dance in front of the TV by myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Uh, they're cool party, you know. They're cool party. Um, party favorites is is that is that the right way? Party favors, maybe. Party favors. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, would you say that that was that was your favorite holiday gift or acquisition, or or did you get something even cooler? Um, I would say that. Um, no, nah, I mean it wasn't my favorite. You know, really, when it comes to um, when it comes to holidays and things, you know, like that. It's really not about what I receive. It's about the. Uh, it's, it's about what I give. You know, it's about seeing how people react to things that I give, and um, you know, I think this was a. You know, this was cool, but some of the things that I gave, um, I think, brought a lot more joy and happiness. Well, that sure is nice of you. 
Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's 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 for all the listeners out there. It's not about it's not about receiving; it's about giving. But like, it's also about becoming Jarrell's friend because apparently <laughs> he gives great gifts, or according to him, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, man, how about yourself? Uh, I I had a pretty great break. I was up in Chicago, went up to Wisconsin, and played around on some frozen lakes. Um, you know, oh, Wisconsin. Yeah, we went. We family trip up to Wisconsin. We rented a, a house up on a frozen lake up there and, you know, just kind of hung out. It was only a couple of nights, but it was, it was a good time up there. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, it's, it was only a couple of hours away from the house. It was actually closer than I expected it to be. So did, did you all do Christmas day at the lake? No, no, we did that at my parents' house. Um, oh. We actually have Christmas Eve at my parents' house with my massive family. There was something like 50 or 60 people there. Um, and it, there always is. The family's huge. And so that was that was exhausting, which is why I think we had to go to the lake house afterwards. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, but it was good. Um, and uh, I, um, one of the, one of the gifts that I got was a brand new microphone. So hopefully, hopefully everybody's hearing a brand new me in 2011 here for the podcast. We'll see if it makes a difference or not. Okay. You know, one of the, um, one of the, uh, one of the low, well, I shouldn't say low point, but well, actually it was a high point. I, I was, I was very surprised at, it, at this on, uh, on Christmas Eve, you know, we recently launched a new campaign for, uh, for a big client. Yes. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of long hours involved in that. And, um, on Christmas Eve, you know, we were, uh, well, a few of us, you know, were still working. And the thing that impressed me the most is that at some of the publishers, they were working as well. Like, you know, we, we were actually, you know, like getting feedback on Christmas Eve. No so, way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was thoroughly surprised. Man, they, de- they deserve a bonus for sure. That, they, they do. Oh, well, you know, at least recognition, which I'm giving them now. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Hope they're listening. Maybe you should send them the link after we publish this. <laughs> That's their thanks. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that was um, – Slightly impressive. Wow, that's crazy. Well, we have we have a couple weeks worth of news here. You think we should jump into it? Let's do it. All right, man. So the first story on our list this this new year um, is something I found really interesting, and it's it's a it's a change that I think is going to be a very good one. Um, and it's it has to do with Netflix. So you know, Netflix has. Um, you know they've been growing. They've been getting a lot of press. They're they're kind of the leader and probably the only player out there right now, other than Redbox in in kind of the movie space that's getting any attention. And they just made a move very recently uh, to partner with a bunch of, uh, I guess, TV manufacturers, so that in their I guess internet ready TVs as well as Blu-ray players. There's going to be an integrated Netflix button right on the right on the remote control, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's the same thing as you know the on-demand button on a Comcast remote or you know maybe a TiVo button on a Universal remote. Now Netflix is going to have their own, which is going to make it a household name. It's probably already a household name, but now you know you're going to Netflix something as opposed to Netflix just being a service. And I think this is a pretty huge move. I, I actually can't believe that they were able to make as many partnerships as they have. They have names like, um, you, you know, 
Panasonic, Samsung, Sharp, Sony, Toshiba, um, and, a, and I guess a bunch of others are all going to be making these things. And that's a big win in my mind. What do you think? I think it's a huge win. You know, I should I should start by saying that um, I am a new Netflix uh, user. You know, I've, I've heard a lot about Netflix and I've been interested in it. But because I, uh, I pay for cable um, and, you know, usually when I want to rent a video, I'll just go like get one from Redbox. I never really, um, you know, I never took the time to, to subscribe to the service. Right. I did, though, once I got the Xbox, which really, you know, I should explain. That's really the reason I got the Xbox. I wanted something to connect my uh, my digital library to my uh, to my, you know, to my living room. And I think Xbox serves that pur- that purpose beautifully. You know, anything that's on your computer, anything that's on your hard drives, anything that's on your external drives, it's now available on your um on your TV or in your living room, I should say. So that's re- really the reason I got it. But it also happens to have Netflix, um, you know, integrated into it. And subscribing to Netflix is like an eye opener for me. Um, you know, it takes a few steps, but once you are once you are a member, you basically have access to to really all the TV shows and, and movies that you want to see. Right. And, uh, you know, and that being said, I realize not everything is available on Netflix, but enough is available on Netflix that you don't miss the things that are not there. Right. So I've found that they're, they're, well, and, and so you're talking about the instant queue catalog. I, you know, oh, we got, we should... I did not do the, um, you know, send me the DVDs because I, I don't want to be responsible for them. Right. Right. So for their instant queue library, I found that their movies are kind of so so, the selection that they have for them. They've got some good ones. Um, they're missing a lot of great ones, um, but it's it's really kind of a lot of lackluster movies in there. But they're. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, what are you, what are you trying to say here? <laughs> I think that's a matter of personal preference. I guess uh, it is. I well, I don't know, but I I think that it's fairly. I, I think you should you should say before you make that statement, you should say in my opinion. All right, in my opinion, and the opinions of many others, because it's it's kind of a well known fact, Terrell. I mean, you might be in the minority I, I, I totally, here. I totally disagree. Okay, I totally disagree. Anything that I anything well, I shouldn't say anything because so I look for probably the first movie that I looked for was Unforgiven. Unforgiven is one of my favorite movies. It's not there. Mm-hmm. The second movie I looked for was Benjamin Button. That's also one of my favorite movies. That was there. So and that's I, fairly I, new. So that's good. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's it's, it's almost like it's, it's almost an individual thing. Most of the TV shows that you know, if I were going to actually spend time looking at TV, most of those TV shows that I want to see, they're there. Most importantly, I'm a huge documentary fan. They've got tons of good documentaries. Documentaries. Yeah. So, no, I was, I was just echoing what you're saying. They have tons of great documentaries. That's yeah, so true. They have true. a huge database of documentaries. So it really depends on what kind of viewer you are. There are going to be some viewers, if you're looking for the, the latest, greatest blockbuster hit, it may not be there, especially in Instant Q. Um, but, you know, if, if you, you know, if you are more of a, if you are more of a, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily have to be the latest movie. It just has to be a good movie. Probably you're going to find it. I saw The Funeral. Um, yesterday, which I, I've never seen before, but I've always wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Walken, um, uh, Chris, uh, and a few people in it. Christopher Walken was the person that like attracted me to the movie. Right, great movie. Um, there, there are a lot of movies in there. You know, it's like I said, it's not going to have the latest greatest, but it's going to have good enough movies that you won't be disappointed. And it's only seven ninety nine a month. Right, and you can't beat that price at all. 
right. All right. That's that's my spiel. Go back to you. No, that's fine. I was just going to say, you know, like my take on it was, you know, not great for, for movies. And I was I actually had forgotten about documentaries. So documentaries, fantastic. Um, and I also think the TV shows are, are really well covered in Netflix. So if you, if there's any kind of, you know, show that, you know, is three, four, five seasons in and you don't want to pick up on it now because you're too far behind, there's a good chance that it's on Netflix. And, I, and that's what I've used Netflix for the most actually is catching up on different uh, different TV series. And so, I mean, talk about the perfect integration with a TV remote. I mean, if I want to catch up on one of those series, you hit the one button, you're at Netflix watching your show. It's it's perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, going back. Yeah, going back, back to the actual uh, story. Yeah, going back to the point of the story. So having that button on your remote is going to open this up to so many more people. And, you know, and I think they're going to be so satisfied. Um, it, it's, it's definitely going to have a positive impact on their on, on their subscriber base. Right. It, it definitely – well, and not only because of the ease of use, but I think because of the branding they get out of this. That's that's going to be um, almost, uh, I mean, immeasurable, the, yeah. the amount of, of influence that's going to have on their brand. Yeah, this is almost like a, a Facebook button on a, um, on a website. Or maybe an Intel Inside sticker on a PC. I right. mean, you know, this is definitely, you know, exposing their service to people who, who though it's accessible, though it's there, never really, you know, that they probably wouldn't have utilized it if there were not a dedicated button on the remote to quickly access it. Right. So um, there's another service that I think that we should talk about that often has a dedicated button. That was a pretty good transition, actually. Um, if you've ever if you've ever installed the StumbleOn ex- extension into Firefox or Chrome or I, even IE, I believe um, there's there's always that button there, that StumbleUpon button. Drill, have you are you a StumbleUpon user? Have you ever been? I tried it for a day. Um, I didn't like it. I stopped using it. Yeah, you know what? That might have been the problem that. You only tried it for a day, so I was I was a pretty heavy stumble upon user. Well, well, so we we talked about this briefly. I tried it for a day. I didn't like it, so I stopped using. It. I didn't like it because it, it seemed to me that one of the main focuses of the service were was to help you discover websites. Right. And um, I, I'm always interested in discovering new content, but I'm not interested in discovering new content in a way that stumble upon helps you find that content. Um, you know, I'm more about, I guess I'm more about socially finding new content. Right. Well, so, so the nice thing about StumbleUpon, if you, if you put some time into it, is that it actually learns what you like pretty well. And so if you actually, you know, pretty diligently use that thumbs up, thumbs down button to rate kind of the sites that come to you over time, it actually does a really good job of bringing to you exactly what you want to see. You know, you can you can outline different topics and different types of sites you want to see. And, you know, even within those, pair them down to, you know, more similar sites into what you're looking for. And so over time, it does a good job. But I think that you're right. For the for the person who tries it out the first time, it's not, it's not always going to give you very relevant information. But anyway... To get back to the story that we have here, um, this story just came out uh, about StumbleUpon saying that StumbleUpon sent 700 million page views to other websites in December. So let me let me kind of outline that for a second. That means that 
This isn't like StumbleUpon.com got 700 million page views on its site, which would be a huge number. This means that it is sending that many page views out into the web, you know, every month. And it also they also said that they, you know, for the past couple of months have been growing steadily at a 20% rate month over month. So I don't know who's picking up StumbleUpon, but there are a ton of people moving to that platform all of a sudden. And it's something that I think has has always been a little bit underreported or, you know, mentioned a little bit less than it should have because it's it's definitely a driving force on the web as far as, you know, sending social traffic. Um, I have a number of different clients that I've looked at, um, especially the, you know the content sections of their sites, and StumbleUpon is often you know in the top three refers of of regular organic traffic, and I mean that's that's a pretty valuable service, especially if they're growing twenty percent month over month. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's not for me, but um, you know, I'm looking at the article here, and I see that it's, it's getting heavy usage on um, on mobile platforms, on, on mobile um, handsets, and um, the iPad. And I can see how those platforms might, uh, you know, might contribute to uh, to the number of users of StumbleUpon. You know, because a lot of people use those devices as um, browsing tools, and you know, they're, well, they use them as as, com- as time killers. And if you're killing time, you know, what better way to do it than to visit random websites? I guess. Right. No, I mean that's true. And and you know, the one I mean not the one, but one one major downside of StumbleUpon is that the, the traffic it sends is very fickle because they are one click away from going on to another website. So, yeah. you know, it's it's the traffic that comes there can come in in very very large amounts, but it can often not be really that valuable. So, you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of targeting stumble upon but regardless i mean anybody who's showing 20 percent month over month growth that's not you know twitter or facebook or foursquare i guess um you know they should be getting some some props for this i think yeah i agree all right well let's move on to our next story here which um is one that really actually interested me a lot so about a month ago i believe uh, Google had a big, you know, Chrome developers press conference, and one of the things that they launched there in preparation for the Google Chrome OS was the Google Chrome Web Store. And this is set up very, very similarly to what <clears throat> Apple is about to launch with their Mac App Store as well. And, you know, except for the Chrome's is web apps and Mac's is going to be all different types of applications. But uh, so there's there's a TechCrunch article that basically looked at some of the top apps that are out there. You know, they, they were first referencing free apps, but or I mean, excuse me, paid apps, but then went to talk about free apps as well. And from the looks of it, the Google Chrome Web Store is is a failure at this point. I mean it's it's not sending downloads to anybody. You know, like they were saying that one of the top apps that are out there, you know, like maybe the number 1 or number 2 app in top apps, uh, top paid apps got like 6 downloads in the last week. Um, you know, one of the other ones that's maybe 5 or 6 got something like 65 installs in the last week and that is not a whole lot of act- activity going on with that Google Chrome Web Store. Drill, do you have any idea, you know, like why this didn't catch on with, with all these Chrome users? 
Well, I think it's a surprisingly premature article, um, to be honest with you. Um, the Google uh, Chrome Web Store is, um, is, is not really at the, – the apps that are currently in it are not really, for the most part, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are a few apps out there that do deliver something unique and, and special and exclusive to uh, Chrome, to Chrome, though maybe that's not the case. But at this point, I don't think there are a lot of apps out there that would justify a purchase. Um, the Chrome Web Store, the, those apps that are available via the Chrome Web Store are typically available via the regular web for free or via any other browser for free or via the iPad, you know, maybe at a cost. It's, just, it's nothing unique about those applications at this point. Now, at the point that the Chrome Web Store is available on the uh, on the on the um, on the uh, on the Android tablets, and at the point that Chrome uh, Chrome OS comes out and it's you know it's running on netbooks, at that point, I think it's gonna the the business model around the Chrome Web Store become more valuable. But at this point, is I think it's a premature article. I mean, it's, it's way too early to say the Chrome Web Store is is a failure. It's it's way too early. I mean, it's way too early. There's no real purpose in the Chrome Web Store yet. That makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, basically what you're saying is that the Chrome Web Store was was probably never meant for regular, you know, web desktop or laptop users. You know, this is going to come up when we have those tablets right, or right. those netbooks that are coming out. Right. The market conditions are not right for the Chrome Web Store yet. Um, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't have released it. Uh, maybe they should have done a better job at setting expectations. Like, you know, maybe there should have been a press release. We don't expect for it to take over the market right now. It's a, you know, it's a proof of concept product. We expect for it to gain momentum as people move to uh, to platforms, to hardware that will utilize the Chrome Web Store in a more, you know, in a more efficient and a more valuable way. Maybe they should have done that. They didn't, as far as I know of. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, it's premature. Right. It's, so it's, I think it's a, I think it's a nice service. And it will only get better over time. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, do you think that this has any, or, or that this is any indication of how the Mac App Store will do? I don't. Uh, I think they're two totally different, um, two totally different approaches, two totally different services. That they they, I, they are addressing two different market needs. I, I don't think they're related. Whereas the so the the. The Mac App Store enables people; it provides people with one place to download applications for their, you know, for for their machines, not web-based applications, not applications right. that are that are that are cemented to your browser, applications that will run on your on your computer. So, I mean, they're they're totally different. I, I don't think you know. I don't think you can look at this and be like, you know, the Mac App Store might not be uh, successful. I think the Mac App Store, you know. Actually, will be uh, will be very successful. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think I think that you know, once it rolls out, it's going to be the model that um, that all desktop makers and all laptop makers will soon follow suit. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, you know, and and I think that I've probably talked about this before, but you know, with my experience on Ubuntu, um, and their and their you know, I guess their repository or their their application. Uh, manager uh, has has something very similar to what the Mac App Store is going to be, and and it's a great great service to have. Yeah. And so I think I I do think there's a lot of value there, and I think that 
as you said, the value in a web app, especially a paid web app, is hard to figure out at this point. So it's yeah, it's also not no surprise to me that the Chrome Web Store is not doing fantastically well. Uh, but at the same time, I think that you're also right with saying that you know let's wait and see until people actually going to find value in something like this. You know, there there could be a market for it. Yep. All right, so uh, why don't you walk us through our, our next story here, uh, which you've titled Google Wins One Against Microsoft. Yeah, so briefly, um, back in October of last year, um, Google uh, was basically excluded from a uh, contract being offered by the Interior interior, interior Department of the um, U.S. for, um, for online, uh, for business pro- productivity, online services. Um, Google, you know, as you know, Google uh, competes with Microsoft, BPOS, uh, with their Google Docs solution. And basically, the interior um, service structured the, uh, the um, RFP that whatever, whatever companies bid for the contract had to offer Microsoft's BPO, BPOS solution. I'm having a hard time saying it because it's a horrible name. Um, <laughs> BPO, BPOS stands for Business Productivity Online Solutions. So the contract terms were, you know, if you were going to bid for the contract, you had to offer that service, which is a Microsoft-only service, basically excluding anyone offering a Google Docs solution. Um, Google sued, and the uh, the comp- the uh, the courts have recently said that you know your your lawsuit is legitimate, and we are going to uh, suspend that contract until you know until until we can you know until we can sell this out in court. That's really interesting. So. I can't figure out why it would be uh, any kind of – I mean why would it be illegal to require a certain software suite for somebody who's going to provide a service for you? I mean how is that anti-competitive? Well, one one could say you know, since BPOS has achieved uh, some federal uh, certifications that are required in order to offer hosted services for federal agencies, one could say that – them restricting um, companies who bid for that contract to those who offer that service is completely legitimate. I mean, if you have to be certified to offer federal services, then you can only you know you can only bid with services that are certified. Does, right. Does that make Does that make sense? No, it definitely does. So you know, I, I, when it first occurred, I didn't, I didn't see the problem with it. Now, what the uh, what the court is saying that what the court is saying is that that was a violation of the Competition and, Con- and Contracting Act um, and that, you know, you can't, you can't create arbitrary um, restrictions from people bidding for a, for a contract. So I think at this point, you know, the, the, the conversation or the, um, the, uh, mm. the case is going to be around whether or not that was an arbitrary exclusion or not. Gotcha. So they're saying – so probably uh, the, the fact that somebody was – and I don't remember the acronym at this point – Microsoft – Certified or were they using their uh, online services? Yeah, you, yeah. So it, the fact that they were using the online services really had nothing to do with the contract. They were including that in a you know, possibly because they wanted to exclude Google. Well, that's what Google is saying, right? So I mean, well, yeah. So it's not gone through the courts, but yes, yeah. and that you know, in order for to be considered, the service that you use has to be certified to serve federal agencies. Which I know that BPOS is, though I'm not sure about uh, the Google Docs solution or the Google Google Docs, Google Apps, whatever they call it. 
I'm not sure about that solution. It could very well be. I'm just not sure. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, is there any idea of when this is actually going to be decided upon in the courts? Um, there may be, but I don't know it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, let's talk about Scavenger. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So for those of you not familiar with Scavenger, Scavenger is a check-in game uh, similar to Foursquare and Gowalla, but it actually has more of a focus on the gaming aspect of it. It's all about scavenger hunts, hence the name, as well as you know businesses being able to put together really fun little tasks for people that check in at their business. Now, Scavenger has always – I mean – been in a, I don't even want to say distant third, they may not have even been third place between Foursquare and Gowalla, um, but they've always been, you know, by far the underdog. Uh, well, and I say that from a user base standpoint and from a buzz standpoint. On the flip side, they are the only one that I'm aware of that um, has actually made money um, and by that, I mean, I believe they actually broke even in their first year. Like, they weren't even losing money. Um, and on top of that, the reason that this is news today is that Scavenger recently raised $15 million more in funding, and this put them at a $100 million valuation, which is kind of mind-blowing to me um, because these guys have been pretty much forgotten in the check-in space. Like, I don't know anybody who uses Scavenger. Um, I don't know any businesses. I don't know any individuals. Um, but I think that the reason that they're actually still, you know, in the eyes of the, I guess, VCs or whoever's, you know, whoever their investors are is because they actually have a business model. You know, they, they charge businesses essentially to enhance their, their business profiles on Scavenger and to create these games, which, it's something the guys like Foursquare and Gowalla and even Facebook Places can't say. Like, those guys don't really have a business model. So, uh, basically, th this story took me by surprise because I thought Scavenger was out the door. You know, they were probably going to close up shop pretty soon because, you know, they, they didn't have any buzz. But apparently, they're still worth something. I mean, $100 million valuation, I'd say that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'd take that. Have you um, have you used the service? I used it uh, months ago, and I I believe it was before you know a big revamp that they did, at least in user interface. And it was a fun game. I mean, it was you know it was a check-in service. Um, it was probably uh, it was more fun than GoWalla was, but it was less attractive as far as UI went um, for for the app. And so I think that that's kind of why I got rid of it first and then Gowalla second because nobody was on Gowalla, everybody was on Foursquare. But I mean it's probably worth taking another look at it if it's if it's really getting this this kind of funding and this kind of valuation. Yeah, you know, I'm always curious about people who actually use services like this consistently. I mean I, I know that there's a you know there's a group of people out there who will probably really enjoy checking in and then playing a little game <laughs> about the place that they checked into. But, I mean, you know, like, like you said earlier, I don't know any of these people. And, and I wonder if, if the user base, the people who do use the service, I wonder, I wonder is it growing? Is it, is it consistent? You know, they have, like, their, their core user base, and, is, and that's what it's going to be. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Right. I, mean, I just don't see 
and I could be totally wrong because because I don't do things like this, but I just don't see a service like this becoming a major player in the um, in the location based service field. I mean, I just don't see it because it, it, it seems like it's so it's it's so it's it's so catered to a, a specific type of person. Right. So the the original. Uh, I guess the original idea of scavenger or their original target were places like, you know, campuses, like college campuses or museums or. Yeah, well, who goes to a museum, checks in, and then plays a game? Well, but it's not about that. It's like, you know, in the museum, there would be posters up about getting this app and then going to different places within the museum and, you know, as you check into different, um, you know, different art you know, pieces or, you know, <laughs> well, but, but it's not, it's not about the game at that point with those. It's more like, it's, it's almost like taking a virtual tour. So when you've checked in at, you know, um, this time period or this, you know, this piece and you, and you hit the button, it's going to pop up with a little bit of extra information. And maybe if you go in and, sh- you know, check in at all of these different places, you're going to get, you know, a special souvenir at the end of your a trip through the entire museum. Yeah. Who does that? <laughs> who, who, who does that? Who? I've never run it. Well, you know, somebody must. If they're, if, I, I, that's why I say it's probably yeah. a, a very specific set of users. I could, I could see, you know, back in college when I was taking, you know, maybe campus tours. I mm-hmm. think it would be fun to, you know, have the tour guide say, "Okay, everybody, download this app." You know, and everybody go on this little scavenger hunt around the campus, and that's the way you learn about the campus. You know, you go someplace, and it says, oh, this is the dining hall. This is where you're going to eat all your food or, like, you know what I mean? And, and like, you know, you spend an hour doing your little scavenger hunt. You do it kind of independently, but, you know, it's it's fun. You're running around campus, whatever. Um, I could see that being a good use case for it. I just don't know, you know, if there's $100 million in value out of a business like that. Well, okay. Let me ask you this, because I, I still wonder who does that. Let me let me ask you this. All right. So let, let's say that that is a use case, and I agree that that's you know it sounds like a, a reasonable use case. Is that is that something that you would continuously do, or would you do it that one time? You know, get your enjoyment out of it to get about scavenger. Uh, as a user, I would do it once, but I don't think that they're looking to be a Foursquare competitor. I think that the idea here with something like Scavenger is to have business partners like universities who will use you as their okay. um, their their system of showing new students around okay. and pay for it. You know, that's that's the that's the biggest part of it, and okay. pay for it. So it's it's almost like an orientation aid, something that yes, okay. Yeah. All yeah, right. that that would be a really bad name for an app, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> Orientation aid. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that would fly with the kids that well. <laughs> okay, well, I, I can I I can see that. I can see that. So it's it's not like people are choosing to use scavenger. They're kind of um, they're they're almost like you know they're. Uh, for lack of a better word, they're almost mandated to use scavenger for for particular situations. Yes. All right. Yeah. And so, you know, so the interesting aspect of this is that apparently businesses are still finding value in something like Scavenger, you know, to to give them this kind of valuation. Yeah. Um but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I guess going on to our next story here, um we have we actually have talked more in the last 6 months about 
ITA and travel database services than I think I've ever talked about in my entire life. And we've got another story about something similar here, which just blows my mind. Um, but I, I'm finding it more and more interesting. So the, the story here is that apparently Expedia has removed American Airlines from its website. So if you go searching for a you know a, a trip from you know one place to another on Expedia, you are not going to get results from Air, American Air, Airlines any longer, which I think is crazy. I mean, I think this is this these are people, you know, playing chicken with each other or you know what I mean or they they're basically just trying to see who's going to flinch first because Expedia needs American Airlines and American Airlines needs Expedia, at least in my mind. Does that does that sound right to you? You know, when I was initially um talking about this, I actually have um reviewed this uh this situation. And I agree. I mean, that was my uh, you know, that was that was pretty much my the my point as well, you know, I think they, I think that they are in fact playing chicken. They're seeing who, who will go the furthest, you know. Um, I, I feel almost as if Expedia is probably, you know, this is definitely not part of the story, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're reaching out to, uh, to Bing, they're reaching out to Priceline, they're reaching out to whatever other um, online services, you know, continue to list American Airlines. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to get them to drop American Airlines as well, unless American Airlines comes back to the table with a better, uh, you know, with a better pricing model or with a better free fee structure. Yeah, you know what's interesting about this is, and I, and I wish it was in the story I linked to, but it's in another one I read, um, so I'm not going to have all of the details here. But I believe American Airlines, uh, like, willingly took themselves off of another one of these services, like maybe yeah, they Orbit. moved themselves from Orbit. Yeah, from Orbits because you know they were they were not happy with the the prices and all that kind of stuff. The and fee so, structure. I mean, it all boils right. down to the fee structure. So it sounds like American Airlines really feels like it can do better going direct than it can go through these aggregators, which, in all honesty is is better for end users because if they can cut out those extra fees and they can cut out you know the the you know whatever percent 10 percent 20 percent they're giving to these aggregators all the time that means cheaper flights for everybody it's a little it it's a pain it, in the it, butt you know it, but yeah it, it, it does and, and that's their goal you know the reason they're trying to um restructure or or renegotiate the fee structure is so that they can lower the prices uh for customers so you, you're absolutely right you know their, their goal is to lower fees for customers However, um, American Airlines is not what people people typically think of when they think of a discount airline. You know, when when you think of a discount a discount airline, you think of South, Southwest, right? You, you think of uh, Spirit. Yeah. Um, I guess there are a few others out there. I'm, I'm kind of scared to fly on them. You know, but, <laughs> but, but I, but I they got crazy names. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you know that that's their goal. They they want to lower fees um, for for customers. Um, and I, I guess one could say that these online, um, you know, these online sites are kind of preventing them from doing so. But, you know, so American Airlines are moving themselves from Orbix in order to have more people go directly to American Airlines may not be the, the best strategy for them, though. Because, like I said, they're not considered to be a discount airline. So for the most part, people are not going to go directly to American Airlines, you know, with the exception of their, uh, their, their loyalty uh, customers. People are not going to go directly to American Airlines to um, to book their flights. They're going to go to Expedia. They're going to go to um, Bing Travel. They're going to go to Orbitz. You know, so at the end of the day, it's a game of chicken. But you know, if, if 
if I were a betting man, you know, I, I would bet on the um, on the online, um, you know, the online booking sites. Right. It's going to take more than American Airlines ditching Expedia and Orbitz for me to ditch Expedia and Orbitz. Right. Exactly. I mean, because I never fly, I never fly American Airlines anyway. Right. And and even if I did, it would only because I, I found them on Expedia and Orbitz, and they exactly. were the cheapest people that gave me a flight from point A to point B. Exactly. You're you're never going to go directly to American Airlines to find a flight. Right. You know, unless that becomes, you know, the new norm, as in everybody's ditched these guys, but the chances of that happening are zero. So, um, you know, I mean, they they must, I don't know, they must, I wonder if they have a new CEO or CFO or somebody who's gone in and, and crunched these numbers and said, hey, guys, we can lose you know, 20% of our business, which we get from Expedia or something like that, and save more than that, or, you know, be, you know, in, in, in fees or something. Like, the math has to be there, because this is a huge, huge shift for American Airlines. Like, there's no, I mean, for years, the, the, the airlines have been reliant on these guys. I, it just seems so sudden for them to all of a sudden leave Expedia and Orbitz. Well, leave Orbitz and get kicked out of Expedia. Well, right. It- <laughs> and um and if in fact someone is crunching numbers and coming to that conclusion, um I, I hope they're right. I, I hope they're right. You know because I I don't think the airlines are in a, you know in the, um, in a position to uh, to take a twenty percent cut in sales in order to become more profitable. You know, but you know I say that you know from an outsider you know point of view. I mean you know who knows you know right. maybe maybe those fees were to the point that it's, it really cost them more to sell a to sell a seat on these services than to sell a seat directly through American Airlines. Right. But, you know, I, I, Well, and maybe they also noticed um, that all of the traffic was going to those discount airlines and that somebody like American, you know, th- their traffic, or, or, you know, their bookings from those things were going down, you know, lower and lower. And so they weren't really losing a whole lot by leaving these guys since they were never going to be the cheapest. Perhaps. I don't know. There's got to be logic there. I mean, it's obviously not just something they've done on a whim, but this this does not seem like a great idea to me. Anyway, um, something interesting that came out also this last week, maybe even in the last couple of days, uh, was that it looks like Amazon's new app store, which they're going to be running on Android, so it's an Android app store curated by Amazon, I guess is now open to developers, and and this is your story actually, Drill. Why don't you walk us through it? Yeah, I mean, and the reason the, the, the thing that piqued my interest on this story was the uh, the first three uh, sentences, first three sentence words um, in the article. Uh, so we're we're bringing or we are enhancing the fragmentation, the curation, and the recommendations of the uh, of the Android um, marketplace. And then again, I don't know that you can call it Android marketplace if it's on Amazon. Well, so, but it's 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 the Amazon marketplace on it, Android. It, so there you go. There you yeah. go. So um so basically what's happening is, you know, so you you have access to the Android marketplace on um on Google certified um Android devices and now you have access to an Android uh marketplace on Amazon. Now, you know, when I first thought about it, when I first read it, you know, I was looking at it from the point of view that um you know, that's that's a cool thing that you now have another outlet of getting you know a uh, you know curated apps. You know that's, that's a cool thing. I think that's a good thing. 
yes, it does create fragmentation, especially if their uh, if their submission requirements are different than those of submitting um, apps directly to the uh, to the Android marketplace. But but what it really does, or I think the 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 more uh, significant impact of this move is that they are now enabling devices that are not certified by Google to have access to a marketplace. And I think that's important. It is it is really important and it's going to make the Chinese knockoffs that much more valuable. Exactly. Exactly. So now you can buy the uh now you can buy the $99 um Android iPad uh, uh the Android um, pad from Kmart. Now you can buy the uh, like you said the uh, the Chinese knockoff um, now you can buy the. Uh, I mean, you can you can basically buy any unverified or un, uncertified. Um... Oh, do you have some friends over there, Terrell? Oh, my fault. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> my uh, my Zoom my Zoom kicked in. Um, Lola did it. My uh, my dog jumped in here. She Damn was, dog, you know. She, <laughs> she was bored. She jumped in here and pressed play on um, on Zoom, and that's what happened. Stop, stop that, Lola. Stop Happy that. New Year to you too, Lola. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I lost my thought now. What was I saying? Oh, you were just talking about Chinese knockoffs and how oh, all yeah. you guys are going to get the the, yeah, the so, market. Yeah, so, so the so the ramifications of this are actually significant. Um, this can't be something that Google. Is happy about. I mean, because you know, when you get to the point that you no longer your your the um, Android OS no longer needs to be certified by Google, because you have uh, you have access to a marketplace that's outside of Google. Now you no longer have to worry about having to um, to place a Google search on your device on your um, yeah on your device. You no longer have to worry about uh, Gmail. You know, because there are going to be alternatives or there are going to be apps that probably give just as good Gmail experiences. As a Gmail application, at least eventually there will be. You know, it's, it's just opening is opening up everything to go around Google. I, yeah, I'm curious as to whether or not this is something that they anticipated. Well, you know, it's and and granted, this is coming from the PR mouth of Google, but they've they you know were very upfront about this when when Android was first starting. They said we welcome third party you know, markets out there and we, we expect them and we welcome them and they're going to be curated and they're going to serve their purpose. But I don't think that they expected somebody like Amazon to do it. And that's going to be the big difference in that there, there's already a ton of little tiny markets out there that have their different focuses and niches and all these kind of things. The, you know, the difference is, is that Amazon's going to be making deals with all of these Chinese knockoffs for you know, really cheap to be able to get this Amazon store. I, it may even be free to put it on on your on your uh, device. Oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's free. Yeah. So in that case, you know, it's it's yeah. I don't think I don't think that they expected a huge player like Amazon to do it. I think that they were fine with you know little nobodies coming out with them. A couple of them popping up in China and getting really popular, but nobody dominating the space. But Amazon's going to be there. You know, I I don't think. Me as a traditional, you know, regular U.S. you know certified Android user, I'm not going to get a whole lot out of this. But it, it's those, it's those, you know. Well, not- you won't get a lot of you won't get a lot out of it now. 
But eventually, when you're looking for your next device or when you're looking for your pad, this will go. This will probably be included in your in your decision making process. Like now, you no longer feel tied to um, to pads or to phones that are officially uh, certified by uh, by Google, because you know that you can get the same apps on basically any you know device that runs Android. Yeah, I guess it, so it, it, right it, now it's not you know right now it's not important. You have your Droid. Droid has access to the, to the Android marketplace. You're good. But when you buy your next phone or when you buy your next um, pad. It's definitely going to be a consideration, right? And I guess if it if it does lower the price, as in cheaper manufacturers can come out and give and get you know nearly as good of products as you know the the five hundred dollar Galaxy Tab that's out there for a hundred bucks. You know, it's not going to be as good, obviously, because there's no way you can get the prices down that much. But if you can get almost there and have access to that App Store, I think you're right. I mean, that's going to give a lot of power to. Uh, cheap hardware manufacturers for sure, and and the people that buy those products. Yep, and you know who uh you know two other parties that are gonna um that are gonna, gonna kind of get the uh, suffer from uh from the fallout of this. Who's that? Apple and Microsoft. Because they don't allow these things. Because they don't allow them. True. So this is only gonna fuel the growth of Android powered devices. It's the power of open. Yep. Well, I don't want to. Yeah. Do <laughs> I, I don't want to go. I, I don't want to say it's the power of open. I'm going to say it's the power of Android, <laughs> which I would say is the power of open. But we could call it, you know, tomato, tomato. I guess. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so yeah, definitely. Um, you know, uh, Microsoft and Apple will have to deal with this somehow, or maybe they'll choose not to deal with it. They're going to do it at the detriment, you know. But it's definitely going to, you know, it's going to have an impact on their sales as well. Right. And I think it's going to. I think it's going to impact worldwide sales more than it's going to impact U.S. sales. Because I think that U.S. Uh, gadget users are used to a certain amount of quality that they're probably not going to get from most uh, you know, non-Google-branded Android devices. I mean, at least for now. That could change in the future. But I think that you know, we, we kind of joke about this being in the Chinese knockoffs. But truly, China is going to be able to take advantage of this in a huge way. You know, that's where we're going to see this really, really, really boom for Amazon. I, I hear you. And, but, you know, and I, I think that it's going to have a, a bigger impact in the U.S. than uh, than you're giving, giving them credit for. reason I say that is there are so many PC makers out there um, with, a, with a large number of them like I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally buy. I'm trying to think of a PC that I wouldn't buy. You know, like when just I think an of e-machine PC, or something. Oh, say that again. I was gonna say just like an e-machine or something. Exactly, an e-machine. I wouldn't buy an e-machine. You know, when I think of PCs, I think of HPs, Dells, Lenovo's. You know, maybe Samsung, um, Sony's. You know, things such as that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a, a, a you know, I wouldn't buy an e-machine. Now, that's not to say that I don't see a lot of e-machines out there, because I do. <laughs> right. You know, because people buy them for price. You know, they don't necessarily buy them for features. They they buy them for price. You know, they, they do what they need them to do. They don't do it as good as, you know, as, as good as my HP might do, but they get the job done. You know, and I think you're going to have a lot of people look at it that way, you know, especially when that e-machine pad only costs forty nine ninety five. Yeah, no, I mean you've got a good point. I think that I think that if the price can get significantly lower, then it then it has legs for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the discriminating buyer, you know, might still choose to go the uh, you know the certified um, Google device route, but the uh, the people who just want a device, 
they're definitely going to be looking at the um, at the uh, at the at the lower quality um, devices out there. So I mean, almost no matter what, Amazon wins though. So the, yeah. it, it, even though at first I thought this was a really kind of silly move by Amazon to put this much effort into creating a third party app store, uh, I think that I've been convinced now that it might have been a brilliant move. Yeah, it, it is. Now, that, now, with all that being said, if they promote this service the same way that they have promoted their uh, their music service, it won't have any impact. Right. What what they have to do, they have to get in front of hardware manufacturers. You know, right. that's right. that's needs to be included on devices. Right. It needs to be loaded at purchase. It, nobody's going to load this themselves, especially if the if the app, you know, the Android app market isn't there. Nobody's going to sideload the Amazon market. I mean, when I say nobody, I mean the majority of, you know, regular old folks are not going to be sideloading this. So it needs to be pre-installed. Yeah, and I'm sure they're working on it. I'm sure they're working on the relationships right now to make sure that when those devices come out, they have the uh, the, the Amazon marketplace on them. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of monetary, you know, compensation for uh, for device makers that include the marketplace. Oh yeah, especially I mean, you know, Amazon's probably going to be paying those people up front, at least you know, t- for the first people to start introducing this app market into their you know ecosystem. Yep, makes sense to me. Agreed. All right, well, since we're on the kind of open versus not open discussion between Android and other app stores, you want to go into your trend? Yeah, so like this so this is a I'm I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. You know, my trend, my title is short because I have I don't really have all my thoughts around this. So I probably should I probably should have held off until next week, but we can, you know, we can we can flush it out live. Yeah, there you go. Um, war, war of the worlds, and the worlds that I'm talking about are the the world of open and the world of closed. Now, when you think of the world of open, though, I think someone begged to differ. You think of Android, and when you think of the world of closed, you think of um, you think of Apple, you think of iOS, and let's add um, let's add Microsoft to the world of closed as well. So, the war of the worlds is which one of these approaches to introducing operating systems to the masses will win out in the end? Will it be the open world or will it be the closed world? And I think the trend, and and I say this acknowledging that this has this has happened before and we know who the we, we know which approach was the winner. I'm, I'm introducing it as a trend as a trend now because you know it's happening in the um, in the in the mobile device world. Um, the trend is that cl- is that open appears to be uh, appears to be gaining steam. Um, I've seen a few articles saying that uh, the Android is now you know has has now edged out um, iOS or or Apple, but is is gaining the the world of open is gaining steam. And I feel like there, you know, there's there's no looking back. I feel like it will continue to gain steam. It will, it will continue to pick up users. Um, it will eventually relegate iOS and Windows Phone Seven or whatever the future iterations of Windows Phone, you know, may be. It's gonna it's gonna um, it's gonna relegate them to uh, to the sideline. You're gonna have a world very much like the uh, the current PC industry, where you know, in which Microsoft is like ninety percent and Apple is maybe eight percent. And two percent is Linux to a world where Android is probably 
70, you know, 60, 70%. And the remainder is shared by, uh, by Apple and, uh, and by Windows. And, and potentially, just maybe, Palm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I've got a question for you about this. Um, do you think that in the next, you know, year or two or three, I guess, if it, it's going to take that long, we're going to see the same ubiquity in smartphones for Android that we see with PCs with Windows? As in, when people say they're going to buy a new computer or they're going to go buy a PC, they mean they're going to go get a piece of hardware with Windows loaded on it. People are saying, I'm going to go out and buy a new smartphone. Are they going to mean I'm going to go buy a phone that has Android on it? You know, I'm I'm very afraid that's what we're looking at. Why are you afraid of that? What's wrong with that? Uh, Because I don't feel like all of our data should be in the hands of Google. Um, I think Google has proven themselves to to not necessarily be the most trustworthy um, um, keeper of our of our personal of our personal data, um, and, and I'm and you know that's that's a conversation for another day. Right. But I I I prefer for all my data not to be in the hands of Google. Um, I don't know that you know I don't know that I agree with with business with Google's. Um, I think that more study <laughs> needs to be done on on Google's business model and the impact that it has on other and the impact that it has on our competitors. So Google's business model is to give away something for free so that they can sell your data to their customers. Mm-hmm. And though it lowers the, uh, it lowers the cost of buying an Android powered device I just I I don't know if it enhances I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a business model that will in the long term sustain the competitive environment that we are accustomed to that that continue continuously produces more innovative products. I feel like eventually we're gonna get to the point that their competitors May not see value in continuing in the and and when I say this, I'm thinking very 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 long term. Not I, I'm not saying this is going to happen this year, next year, or the year after that. I'm, I'm I'm speaking very very long term. Right. I don't know that their competitors can compete with um with free in the long run, and if their competitors stop competing, what you know what are we left with? Well, I mean, I guess we're left with Android. And is that do do you want to be left with you know do, do you want to be left with a sole you know with with right. one provider of you know of, of of operating systems do you want to do you want to be left with one provider of user experience do you want to be left with one provider of access to 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 content I mean that's I just don't think that's the direction we want to go in right well um, and I think I think that in the long in the in the long run yeah and I'm, and I'm saying this you know I'm, I'm we probably should have a, a, a much more nuanced conversation about this. You know, I'm 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 taking this from a very high level, so uh, you know, we get feedback on it. You know, I'll I'll address your questions. You know, readers or, or listeners. You know, if if you disagree, you know, feel free to comment. Um, I just don't know if that's where we want to be in the long term. Five, you know, looking out five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I don't know if that's where we want to be, but right. I know it's very hard to compete with free. <laughs> yeah. It- we all know that competition is a good thing. You know, when when 
Apple was by itself, it was, you know, very iterative with its iPhone. And when Android came out, it started making things move faster. Now that Windows Phone 7's out, it's going to make everything else move faster and, and become more competitive, uh, both from a hardware and operating system standpoint. And so I think that we can probably all agree that we don't want, you know, Android to take over so much with its free model as far as a lot of its services go, that it pushes everybody out. But I, I do think that there is probably still enough room for multiple competitors. I think that there's probably more room in the smartphone market than there is in the PC market as far as operating systems go. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, we shall see. You know, it, it, it concerns me. You know, again, like I said, you know, this... I'm I'm talking off the top of my head now. I haven't really put deep thought into it yet. Right, right. All right. Well, my my trend that I have on here, it, it's not actually really a trend. I th- this is probably you know the first time that I've really wished that we still had our up and coming section. Uh, that we kind of we kind of got rid of that maybe a month or two ago because um there, there's just too many of these kind of like meta conversations that we were having at the end. But I've got one that I kind of just need to talk about here. Um, because it's something that has been getting a lot of buzz in the last couple of weeks and something that I, I really have only tested you know, very lightly over the last day or two, and that is Quora, uh, which is a question and answer, answer site. And it's – you know, when I, I – I feel like I need to find a new explanation for this because when you explain Quora, it sounds very boring – uh, it doesn't sound entertaining at all, and it sounds like something that has been out for years and years. You know, so you know the basis of Quora is that it's a question and answer site. People go on there, ask questions, and other people go on there and answer those questions. And you know, end of story. Like that's really it. Um, what makes it interesting? And I should Quora is is Q U O R A dot com. Where did that name come from? Did, have Have you heard any like? No, hey, hey, you should probably go ask that question on Quora. I'll bet that somebody will answer it for you. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, I've thought the same thing, and and I'm sure it's on there. Um, I probably should just look up the question. I'm sure it's probably like the first thing that comes up because it is an odd name. Um, but anyway, so what makes Quora interesting is that um, it it does the things that. You know, it does the question and answer thing better than other sites, but it also layers on other really interesting things. You know, the first is that it's a wiki, as in, you know, anybody can go in and edit the question asked, edit the answers that are answered, edit the comments that go on those answers, edit the different, um, you know, topics and categories associated with those questions and answers. And so it's this huge crowdsourced community that you know, makes sure that the questions and the answers are are truly as good as they can be. And something that's, you know, that is essential for a wiki to actually be useful is a good community. And at this point, I would say Quora has probably one of the best communities I've really ever encountered online. And that's largely because it is a very small niche community and one that is very, very focused in on, you know, Silicon Valley type people. And so you get a lot of people like, you know, the founders of Twitter and Foursquare and all of these little startups on there participating on the time or all the time. But these are people that 
really kind of know what they're talking about in the tech and social and startup space. And so they're they're sharing this information very openly um, with with the you know the the question askers on the site, and it's it's really turned into something pretty amazing. You know, I I I, I was following a question about. You know, somebody asked a question about what it takes to launch a startup at South by Southwest. You know, what does it take to do that? And the founders of Twitter and Foursquare both hopped on, first two people to answer it. You know, as I was watching, as I watched the question come down, they were answering it. And, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen, but it was great to see these people actually give insight into, you know, how Twitter actually blew up at South by Southwest. And it was a great story, too. So, Anyway, it's it's really kind of fun. Um, I could see it being very addicting because you have almost like a news feed of questions and um, answers to those questions that are coming down kind of all the time. And so every time you load up Quora, there's something new to see. Um, and there's also people answering your questions. I've, I've asked a couple of questions just to kind of test out the service, and people have answered those questions um, in – you know, intelligently. It's not just, you know, it doesn't seem like it's Joe nobody's out there answering. It's people that actually feel like they know something about the question and they're out there answering. And so it's a pretty cool service. I would check out Quora and, and that's really all I have to say about that. Drell, have you, I mean, I, I think we talked about this a little before. You're, you're uh, fairly new to Quora or the idea of Quora, right? I am. I, uh, I created an account uh, while you were describing it. Oh, are you following me? Because you should be. I am following you. Oh, awesome. Well, now we can ask each other questions. No, you know what? And, and what's interesting about this, and it's something that I haven't seen used, is you can actually like ask individual people questions. You know, like I could go onto your profile and ask you a question, but I'm not I'm not sure if people are actually using it that way. I think people are just asking general questions. You know, going up to the top search box or the question box at the top, typing in a question and hoping they get an answer from somebody. Um, but th- that is kind of also an interesting idea on here to be able to kind of go in and ask individuals questions as well. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about it at first glance? I mean, this is this is really a first impression here. I see that you and another buddy of mine have asked a lot of questions. I've only asked like two questions. Well, you answered a lot of questions then. I mean, I see face I mean, up here a lot. Huh? You say a lot. Is that what you're saying? I see your face up here a lot. Oh, do you? So yeah. So maybe you're commenting on a lot of questions. You know, yeah. I've commented on some. I've answered a couple. I've. I mean, I've probably done. I can actually click on my name and find out. I've. I've done about eight different things. You know, plus a couple of comments. So there's probably like half, or you know, like a dozen different actions I've taken on Quora um, that would show up in your feed there. So. I tell you what, so like the questions I see that you've been asking, you can ask me these questions. You don't have to ask me on Quora. Just lean by the office. Um, is there a BBM <laughs> app coming to Android? No. Uh, is Gingerbread coming to the original Droid? No. Uh, what are the most interesting tech startups in Atlanta? Business of tech? Jarrell, not everybody everybody has you down the hall to just, you know, ask these questions to, okay? Oh, okay, all right. You know, I mean, it's for for those people that don't have Jarrell working in the same office as them. You know, you got to think about other people sometimes. All right. No, it's, um, it it looks, uh, 
interesting. So you got to go in there and add some interest. That way you get more than just questions that I've interacted with. So, you know, find some different topics, add in things you're interested in. Um, I've got it. I mean, I started with maybe a half dozen and just by, you know, going through and following other topics as they come up, I'm at 39 different topics right now, which seems like it would be overwhelming, but I think it actually has a pretty good algorithm in there to only give you a certain number from each one. And as you interact more, it's going to give you more of some and less of the others. And so it's actually, it seems pretty smart to me. The algorithm, the the layout, the social functions, the, you know, quality of questions and answers. Um, I've been, I've just been thoroughly impressed with my experience so far, which is not something you can often say about a, a budding social network, you know, something that you know, less than 0.1% of all internet users have even probably heard about. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm far more impressed with this than I was with Twitter because I at least have gotten some, something useful out of this in my first, you know, 10 minutes of poking around. This reminds me of a site that I do like. Um, I am looking for the site that I am talking about. Um, uh, give me a second here. It, it seems it, it's, it looks interesting. Um, I can tell that the community uh, that's currently using it is the uh, is the tech community, which is a, a good thing for the type of questions that I see also being asked, which are a lot of questions about startups, a lot of questions about you know how do you launch this particular business, how do you grow your business, right? Um, so it intersects well for the business of tech, I'd say. Exactly. Right. It well, reminds me. It reminds me a lot of, um, and this is actually one of my. Um, I think it was one of my up and comings, a long time ago. Um, there's a a, a tech Q and A site. Actually, it's a it's a series of tech Q and A sites or Q and A sites, um, started by a, a site called Stack Overflow. Ah, uh, yeah, you have talked about that before. Yeah. So um, this site looks a lot to me. It even it even visually looks a lot like Stack Overflow. Um, and the whole thing behind Stack Overflow is asking questions within a community that um that has expertise in that particular field. So you know, so you got you got Stack Overflow, which is a tech community. You got um Music Overflow. I'm making that up, but I know that they have a, a site that's geared towards um, people in music. They have a site that's geared towards people in art. And and because the, those communities are so specific, when you ask the question, you're going to get a very specific, a very relevant, a very reliable answer. Um, if if Quora remains, um, you know, if if they keep their uh, their tech uh, community um, audience, I think it, you know, I think it'd be a uh, it it'll be a cool site. It'll be a successful site. So, I don't know how big it'll get, you know, but uh, I, I like the service. Well, so so one thing I want to point out real quick on here is that it is is. You know, you've only, apparently you followed a couple of people. They probably were automatically connected through a social network that you signed up with, Twitter or Facebook. And I mean, the people that are on here that you've connected with have similar interests of yours because you're seeing a lot of startup and tech and, and business news. Mm-hmm. But and that's and that's actually one of the most amazing things about this is how quickly it tailors the site to you because there's a lot more on here than that. Like I have, I have, I'm following an Atlanta topic. And I just clicked through because I wanted to make sure that it's not just something that, you know, oh, there's there's a couple other topics, but everybody's doing that. But, you know, there's a lot of questions and answers in the Atlanta topic that are not focused on things. They're actually getting traffic like 
you know, how bicycle friendly is Atlanta? You know, what's the oldest restaurant in Atlanta? You know, um, that, that kind of stuff. And so there's all of these different pockets of communities. And if you, you know, if you make sure you're only subscribing or following things that you're interested in, I think the site is going to tailor itself well to almost any niche out there. Okay. I, I like it. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and that's, and I'm actually really glad to hear your first impression that you kind of thought it was tech and startup and stuff, because that means it did a really good job of giving you information related to, you know, the couple of friends that you have on there. Like it gave you a good first experience because it thought you probably are interested in the same thing as these, as these people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's, it's cool so far. Hmm. Yeah. It's surprising. I actually, I mean, you know, because when I heard it described, I was like, this is not going to be, you know, this big, awesome thing. Like, how cool could questions and answers be? You know, what what is there to it? But I'm actually getting a little bit, I'm getting a little bit addicted to it. I'll tell you. I don't see the uh, the search the, the search function. At the how, very how... top. Where it says add question, you actually start searching in there, um, and it will either pop down a list of, you know, topics oh, or okay. questions. And if it doesn't have a topic or question based on what you're searching, it, you add your question in one click or in oh. one button press. Okay. So, I mean, pretty user-friendly, nice, clean interface. I, you know, we've talked about it long enough now. I mean, obviously I recommend checking it out. Um, and if you, if you, you know, happen to be on there and you're not my Twitter follower or Facebook friend, you can find me at core.com slash Kyle dash Wegner. Um, it automatically pulled in my username for me and made one. So I'm not K Wegner. I'm Kyle dash Wegner. And, uh, you should connect with me and we'll, we'll answer each other's questions. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's, let's, let's quickly get into our, our predictions here because I was actually, you know, it's still not too bad, but I was going to say, you know, we've done a good job for our new year's resolutions of keeping the show short um, but then I kind of went off on Quora for far too long. Yeah, but. and with that being said, I'm going to jump into mine. <laughs> mine and I, I want to keep it brief. Uh, so I'm saying there's a major shift in the uh, Microsoft Windows Phone strategy, and that's kind of a follow up to the uh, to the war of the um, of the world trend that we discussed. Um, so Windows um, Phone strategy is, is is closed, and I just don't think that that's going to. Um, I don't think it's going to be competitive in the long run. And I know I feel like this is a major prediction because anytime Microsoft shifts their strategy, it's a uh, you know it's a major event. But I feel by the end of this year, there's going to be a a major shift in how they position their their mobile operating system. By shift, I mean I, I feel like there's going to be a change in the business model. I feel like there's going to be a, cha- a change in the device that it, devices that is targeted to. Um, I feel like there's going to be a, a change in how they get, and how, and how or if they get OEMs to produce handsets using their operating system. I, what I'm hinting at is that they might actually produce some handsets of, of their own. Um, oh, okay. I was wondering what you were getting. At. I was like, are they going to go open? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, which 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 would definitely be you know significant. Yeah, the last time they did that was uh, with the Zoom hardware. And we um we see how that turned out, right? Um. So, but and I feel like the reason that turned out the way that it did is because they waited so long to to enter the market, and then they entered the market, you know, and 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 uh in a very uh in a very timid way, right? Um. And I know that they they real that I I know that they that they know that they cannot enter the phone market with the same 
timidness that they enter the uh, you know the, the portable player market, and so they 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 realize that if they're, if if they're not being successful using their current approach, they're gonna have to change that approach. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to do it quickly. So within the year 2011, we're gonna see a major shift in the uh, in their approach. And I'm saying it's gonna be a major shift because right now I I don't. I'm not sure about the approach they're currently taking if they want to be successful in the long run. Being that they're competing against free, they're competing against what Google likes to call open, and they're competing against an operating system that has been adopted by basically every major OEM. Well, right, and and beyond that, they're competing against Apple, which is one of the most brilliant marketing machines out there right now. So, on, well, on the flip side of a of a free and ubiquitous ubiquitous product, they're going against somebody who markets their product heavily and markets it well. True, and you know, you know but I think you know, I think Apple is going to face the same issue that um, they will. You know, Microsoft is going to face. Right, right, but I, I mean, Microsoft. The I, only thing is, Apple won't change their strategy. No, they won't. <laughs> it, but you know, they're also not going to have to. You know, face the music nearly as soon as Microsoft does. You know, Microsoft doesn't have any market share right now because they're brand new, so right. they don't they don't have a lot to lose. But they also, you know, need to gain a lot to stay in the game. And the only way to do that, I think you're right, is to probably shift away. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Cool. Well, uh, you know, I'll do my prediction quickly as well. So, you know, I. I you know, this is kind of one of those like New Year's things. A lot of sites do them. Um, they'll do like a recap of 2010 and some some you know predictions or something for 2011. And I, I'm not going to go as far as do like a list or anything like that. But I would say that 2010 for me in in the tech world was the year of tablets, um, which mostly means it was the year of the iPad. But it was the year that you know the focus on the coolest things in technology um, turned to tablets. You know, the year before that was probably smartphones and Android. Um, this is tablets, and you know, I'd like to get your feedback on this as well, Jarrell. But <coughs> excuse me, um, I wonder what you think um, the you know 2011 is going to be the year of, and um, I I think it's going to be. The year of internet TV, internet connected TVs, and so yeah, you know the the platforms like Google TV and Apple TV, and even you know Xbox. I think that we're we're going to see some major innovations, some huge shifts, and major marketing dollars poured into you know getting the internet to people's TVs and we're going to see people adopt them and actually see good products that's going to be the biggest shift from what we've seen so far which has been um to use the word you were using earlier a really timid or or even tepid um entrance into the internet TV world from both Google and Apple so for me the year 2011 year of the of the internet TV what do you think um i think i think 2011 will be the year of um, I think it's going to be the year of personalization. What I mean by that is, no matter what device, no matter what device you're using, your your personalization via the cloud. And what I mean by that is, no matter what device you're using, that device will be customized based off of data that is hosted in the cloud. So if you 
when you log into your when you when you log into it when you turn on your TV, the the content that's presented to you from your TV is going to be personalized based on data that's in the cloud. When you when you pick up your phone, some of the data that's presented to you is going to be customized based off based off of what's in the cloud. When you pick up your computer, some of the content is going to, that you're going to see is going to be customized based on what's in the cloud. And I think that's going to become a lot more ubiquitous than it than it currently is. Uh, we we already see that happening. But it's going to become something that users expect when they get a new device. They're going to expect as little setup time. They're they're going to expect a very small amount of setup time with basically all them having to do is type in their username and password and that device automatically customizing itself for them based off of data that's already residing in the cloud. That would be awesome. I, I mean, I hope you're right because that that is like the experience I think that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long, long time. And yeah, I, think, I think this year it will it will actually happen. It's it's going to start to come into fruition in a major way. Well, it's I mean, very- it already happens with uh, with Windows Phone. Um, and I, to you know, I'm not sure to what to what extent it happens on um, on iPhone and um, and Android. Uh, but when you log into a Windows Phone, if you've been using live accounts and if you've been using window, uh, if you've been using Facebook. That phone is already customized for you. I mean, right. it already pulls your pictures in, it pulls your, you know, your status updates, your comments, your friends, and all of that. So it's already happening, and I just expect for it to be more significant across more um, device makers uh, throughout the year. Right, and so, so I think that the player who has the most to gain if that prediction comes true is probably Google, um, for a couple reasons. You know, one because they probably have, well, and Facebook. Facebook would be the other one. You know, they, they, those two have the most data on you. You know, or or the population at uh, as a whole, then you know probably everybody else combined. Um, but for Google, you know, their Chrome OS is you know that's one of the selling points of it is you know put in your username and password and you've got a you've got the same experience you have on every other computer that you've used Chrome. And so um, they definitely have I think a lot to gain from that idea. Exactly. All right. Well. First show of 2011 down. I think that that uh, that was pretty good. Yeah. So uh, as always, Kyle, thank you for a good show. Yeah, you too, man. I mean, and and welcome back after that long break. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, the listeners didn't miss us too much. I think we were off for basically um, two weeks, uh, but we're back. You know, uh, next week, same time, um, same same station. Uh, probably uh, get the podcast posted. What sometime tomorrow? Maybe, yeah, Thursday uh, night. Yeah, Thursday night, perfect. Um, as always, you can check us out on the website businessoftech.com. You can check us out on Twitter, Business of Tech. Check out, check us out on Facebook. I, I, you know, I'm not sure if we got that that URL customized on Facebook yet. I think I may have gone and, and done that. Okay, so if so, you can check us out facebook.com forward slash Business of Tech. Um, as always, uh, and we're we're using a, a new system, you know, for the time being, anyway. Uh, we uh, we post a uh, MP3 of each podcast on the site, as well as uh, a version hosted in what's the name of that service? Cloud, uh, cloud, SoundCloud, SoundCloud. So you can actually comment and stream. You know, so you can uh, you can make comments at particular points during the podcast, and that way we can you know we can be more tar- targeted with our feedback. So um, if you've not used that yet, go ahead and use it. It's real cool. Um, with that being said, uh, until uh, until next week, we uh, we appreciate you all checking us out. We know you could have been anywhere in the world listening to anything in the world, uh, but you chose to listen to us. 
and we appreciate it. Good night.